Hello, and thank you for listening to the MicroBinFi podcast. Here, we will be discussing topics in microbial bioinformatics. We hope that we can give you some insights, tips, and tricks along the way. There is so much information we all know from working in the field, but nobody writes it down. There is no manual, and it's assumed you'll pick it up. We hope to fill in a few of these gaps. My co-hosts are Dr. Nabil Ali Khan and Dr. Andrew Page. I am Dr. Lee Katz. Both Andrew and Nabil work in the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, UK, where they work on microbes in food and the impact on human health. I work at Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and am an adjunct member at the University of Georgia in the US. Hi, so this episode on microbinfi, we're continuing our discussion on genome assembly, and we're going to be discussing methods on making the most of your data. So let's get right into it. What are some of the steps we've got available for basic pre-processing of sequence data before we start our genome assembly? I, I've used Trimomatic for trimming reads as my very first step for Illumina reads. And I know for PacBio, Gene Myers came out with DAS Scrubber. I think he's got like the Dazzler, um, Dazzler Suite. It's kind of cool. Like he, he goes through the data and looks for chimeras and... Uh, you know, really obvious errors then fixes them quite well, as well as trimming everything. And of course, you know, once your data is slightly better, then you get a better assembly at the other end, unless you have don't have enough coverage, in which case it can actually make things worse. So it's kind of a, it can be a double-edged sword. With Lumina data, obviously the way the technology works, you could just kind of chop the first few reads off, or uh, first few bases off, and then chop the last few bases off, and then, you know, more or less that's going to be how how good you can get the data. Um, but some people do more, I suppose, intelligent uh, trimming. So, you know, you look for adapters and you'll look for low quality bases in the middle of the experiment, but often that indicates that there's a fundamental error with the the way the instrument has been run. You know, maybe it ran out of reagents or the machine is paused and people are fiddling around with it, then they restart and then, you know, the quality can drop off a cliff while it restarts. What about you, Lee? For short read trimming, uh, Trimomatic is wonderful. I actually have my own house tool I use sometimes, but I think that Trimomatic still outcompetes it. Yeah, so I, I use uh, Filtlong from Ryan Wick, and that you know filters out your low quality reads and your kind of low quality stuff. It's quite good, and I use Porchop as well for removing adapters and. It can chop up uh, chimeras, so if there's an adapter in the middle, then obviously, you know, that shouldn't happen. But I know Ryan is no longer supporting that. Right. Right. So uh, for me, in terms of reed trimming, I use, uh, I like FastP. Uh, does everything out of the box. Trimomatic as well is a favorite. And then for uh, long reads, so particularly for PacBio, the in-house PacBio software for the CCS and its own cleanup tools are actually pretty decent for looking for chimeras and all sorts of weird nonsense like that. Uh, One thing that's always bothered me is that that people don't talk about that might actually make a big difference is how how exactly do you trim the reads? Do you trim, do you assume, do you have a fixed uh, quality score, say Q30, and then you trim all the flanking bases that don't meet it? Or do you do like a, an average window 
and average out the quality and then remove windows that don't that you know until you uh, increase the average up to the point where it's acceptable well i suppose we always know that the first say the lumina the first say 15 bases are usually pretty weak and we know that say read to the end of the read usually falls off quite rapidly so you don't need to do anything fancy i don't think you know you just do a bit of chopping there you go is that so that's like blunt end trimming but you don't do like any more trimming on quality i do i do but that that's that's the simplest thing you can do a lot of times i'll use something like um do you guys use Princeek? or um so there there's this thing called Princeek, and about the same time actually um, in-house i was developing my own tool called uh, cg pipeline and there's a script in there called run assembly trim clean which is I know the best name ever, but it um, it trims based off of quality off of the edges, and usually I give it some um, uh, more or less higher or lower quality, like a twenty or a thirty, um, to just trim until it reaches a base with the specified quality, and then sometimes I do a rolling average, but I don't feel like I I don't feel like there's a huge difference between either method, and then. The same script, either print seek or run assembly trim clean, will uh, remove reads of too small length or reads that don't have enough average quality. Yeah, it's interesting with uh, reads of too short a length. The other thing is uh, overlapping reads as well. Sometimes, for whatever reason, you've sequenced from both sides in and you don't actually have any template, any you know, blank insert in the middle of those. You, you sort of, the tail of one is actually the winds up being the start of the other. And often that can be a bit confusing for assemblers. So if one thing that this is implemented in Shovel, but it's a, a trick that people have been using for ages, which is you merge the two together, make a singleton, and then you add that as a singleton read into your assembly. Uh, that can improve, that can actually have some decent improvements in your assembly quality as well just doing that do you guys do any read correction at all uh so we have a paper that we're doing with darlene wagner in-house um hopefully we'll publish it this year and we're calling it read healing that's quite a nice term i've never heard of it but actually it does kind of it makes sense she she splits it up into read correction read trimming and read filtering and uh, you brought up read correction, and I think that's like a really neat idea, but I think that people who use it have to be very cautious. I don't know, do you guys use read correction right now? Only for long read sequencing. Uh, of course, the danger there is that if you try and correct, say, Illumina reads, you may get rid of minority variants. But uh, I know in the past when I've looked at read correction, uh, say doing de novo assemblies in long read sequencing, you can lose plasmids. Only only lunchtime today, I was talking to someone who'd lost a 3KB plasmid in, in some nanopore data. And of course, it's like, well, you know, it's it's probably, they've taken, say, a cutoff of 5KB, anything under 5KB has been used to correct the longer reads, and then your plasmid has magically disappeared. So it's something to, to be aware of. So to identify this, I developed TipToft, which is a software package that's freely available. And that will look for the ink type and the rep, uh, the rep uh, sequences 
for plasmids. So you can tell it from your raw data, uh, is there a plasmid there that you're missing? And then you can go back and then go and find it. Because, you know, if you know it's there, then it's easier to find it rather than just going on a, a blind fishing expedition. Very cool. Yeah, so uh, from the literature, I think if you go back and read about read correction for the Brun assembly, uh, read correction theoretically makes a lot of sense. So the idea here is that your genome graph is basically starts diverging every time you have a single base change. And so if you have a whole bunch of reads with, with single like errors all the way through them, then your assembly graph is going to be incredibly huge. And when you try to traverse it, you're probably going to make mistakes. So for that reason, read correction makes a lot of sense because you take out all of those errors, you simplify your, your assembly graph and you can get something and you hopefully avoid downstream errors as well. But I agree with you, Lee, that the, the sort of problem of your kind of, and, and what Andrew brought up as well, that you're missing minority variants. You don't get to see, you, you're scooping a lot of stuff under the carpet and you're sort of cherry picking a little bit. You're introducing, a, 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 you're sort of overestimating the quality of your data. And that may, that also sort of seems a bit, seems a bit strange as well to do that. So I, I sort of have mixed feelings about read correction, but generally for Illumina data these days, your Q value is 40, 50, whatever. It's, it's, it's incredible. The amount of error that you're expecting is not uh, that much of a problem. And you've got the memory that you can throw it away for large uh, assembly graphs. Gen yeah, so for read correction for short reads, I don't do it unless I have to. And long ways, yeah, you kind of still have to do that read correction. Do you guys ever deal with uh, PCR duplicates or optical duplicates? In terms, in the context of read correction also, I, I created this script one time to remove identical reads. But in doing so, I thought maybe identical reads could be used to uh, kind of say that the FRED score of the duplicated reads are higher and so like you see the read twice therefore there's much less chance that there was an error in that read it's exactly it's found exactly at least twice so i don't know like i never put that idea past anybody but um sometimes i'll deduplicate reads but any duplicated read i'll give them um a higher fred score all the all the nucleotides in that read so i know picard can do it it's got a an option for finding these and identifying them, which is kind of cool. Because you can get incredible bias if you haven't maybe done the wet lab side of things properly. You can have a huge over-representation over of particular uh, sequences and then the rest are under-represented. And that can really mess up your assembly, you know, if you have such uneven coverage. So you really do need to be careful. Another thing I know people have done is they will look at uh, K-mer distributions and then they'll get rid of really overabundant camers because they say, well, that's probably uneven coverage. And we, if we even it out or we subsample, it can possibly produce a, a better assembly. And saying that actually, subsampling your data, if you have too much data, can now often give you a better assembly. You know, if you have 10,000 fold coverage, then your, your errors are gonna start looking like real signal. 
So that's going to be a problem for the assembler. It looked like there's minority variance in there and the graph will just go crazy. Whereas if you subsample it down to something sane, maybe 100, 200 X coverage, it'll all assemble nice. Very cool. Yeah, I think with the we did with the overrepresented uh, sequences, I've I think both both of those with the with the camera abundances and the overrepresented sequences come for free as part of FastP. So I always flick through those. Ah, oh, you're lazy. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> but our sequencing here is pretty good. I never see that many problems. So yeah, I obviously haven't seen enough sequencing then. Well, I mean, if if that's usually if if that if those are bad, there's a lot worse. There's a lot more other things going on that that hit you um, before you get to that point of the report. <laughs> True. Do you remove the low camera coverage um, cameras too? No, I mean maybe that is an important um, piece of the genome, and you don't lose it. But it could also be errors as well, you know, maybe one base error or it could be a minority variant. So you have to be very careful of removing low uh, camers. If you remove very high abundant camers, you also run the risk of removing, say, high copy number plasmids. So you have to be very careful with those. And sometimes doing a bin assembly and subsampling, you can actually recover those then from your data. And in the same vein, you can actually remove low copy plasmids as well by getting rid of low abundant camers. And you do get... Plasmids are not always at chromosome or above. They can sometimes be a little lower than the chromosome. And this is a big problem with plasmid spades, actually, because uh, I'm not sure if you know how it works. There's now a flag in spades for plasmids, and they publish a paper in its own right on this. But what they do is they look at the um, they will look at the distribution of camers in the chromosome, or what they think is a chromosome, and then they'll try and work out what is a plasmid. And so they will subtract the the camera abundance from, uh, of the chromosome from the camera abundance of what they think is a, is a plasmid and then do assemblies and those and then pull those out. But the problem there is that if your plasmid is in more or less the same copy number as your chromosome, then it can't spot it. It can only spot it you know, if there's maybe a two-fold difference or a half. And when, when that does happen, it, you know, it's, it's very good at that, but it can get confused and it can miss quite a bit. Yeah, people have been trying that coverage trick for ages. It doesn't. There's, there's plenty of edge cases where it just doesn't work. That's why you need to use Plasmatron. Do <laughs> you want to talk about Plasmatron for a second? Yeah, Plasmatron is a really cool program I wrote for short read data. And basically you can have a set of cases and a set of controls. So maybe disease versus healthy. And then you want to know what is in common and what's different about those. You know, what, what makes the disease, you know, maybe more severe? And it'll then do a camera analysis, pull out the cameras that are maybe unique to disease case, and then go and do an assembly of those, and then I'll try and stitch them together. So basically, the idea is that you can get out the, the mobile genetic element the other end um, that maybe is implicated in the disease. And we use this quite successfully for a Salmonella typhi outbreak of uh, extensively drug-resistant uh, typhi in Pakistan. And what happened there is a plasmid, an XDR plasmid, jumped into uh, an MDR strain of typhi, and it was causing like pretty, you know, big problems, obviously. And using this software, we could tell from the background strains versus the outbreak strains, we could tell what the plasmid was. It came in three different chunks, and we had more or less the entire plasmid from short read data. And it was only when we went and did long read sequencing later that we were able to say, yeah, we got it right. Very cool. 
And that's not the full name of, of Plasmatron, is it? No, it's uh, officially Plasmatron 5000. I love it. Is that a Dilbert reference? <laughs> no, I think it's a Futurama reference. Futurama reference. <laughs> I think it's really interesting um, and appropriate um, that, that we were talking about plasmids in the time of read correction, because I, I think that you do have to consider plasmids when you're read correcting before you lose your plasmid. That's, that was really good. So that's all the time we have for, for this session. I've learned a lot going back over all the tips and tricks for pre-processing your read data before de novo genome assembly. We were introduced to the delightful term of read healing, and I'm sure that we'll continue this discussion of genome assembly another time on the MicroBinFi podcast. Thank you all so much for listening to us at home. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and like us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or the platform of your choice. And if you don't like this podcast, please don't do anything. This podcast was recorded by the Microbial Bioinformatics Group and edited by Nick Waters. The opinions expressed here are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of CDC or the Quadrum Institute.